everyone, and welcome to Polite Politics, episode 17 of the podcast. Jenny Tayer here with me, reporting in from Houston. Jenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well here in our nation's capital. Jenny, a few stories that we still want to get into. The major ones obviously dominating the news and dominating the country are the Black Lives Matter protests and the COVID-19 pandemic. So we'll take those in order there before we get to our uplifting stories of the day and our final thoughts on the week that was and the week to come. So I want to start with the protests that emanated from George Floyd's murder. And what we've seen now, I think, Jenny, is that the protests have become much more peaceful and they're still getting their point across. And we are seeing legislation that is moving its way through Congress and moving its way through city councils all across the country. Do you feel like Republicans on the Hill are going to be able to work with the Democrats? The Democrats obviously, you know, set up this huge bill with a lot of different kinds of things, but it generally seems that we are seeing some some compromise and some reforms in different places. Do you think we're going to see maybe a national bill? Absolutely. I think so. Um, I think the only thing is that Republicans um, generally don't want to rush, um, especially when, you know, there's a lot of emotional, um, you know, motivation to go into something. That's typically just like they want to make sure that there's nothing in those bills that is, you know, extra. And that's typically just as conservative, principled conservatives are usually on the Hill. Um, So I know they are definitely wanting to push um, legislation forward and, and actively participated in the, in the hearing last week with House Judiciary. Um, that was a really eye-opening hearing, and we heard from all kinds of people, um, including uh, George Floyd's brother, um, who gave a really heartfelt um, testimony, and also, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name, but she, one of the uh, sisters of, of a man who was uh, killed in one of the protests uh, following George Floyd's death. That was um, extremely uh, emotional and, and, and really a difficult story to listen to, but I think that they want to hear that and they want to take in those different perspectives um, as well as the perspective of, of police. So it was very eye-opening. Jenny, do you think that there are any particular aspects of the Democrats' version of the bill that Republicans will find unappealing or something that you that you think they won't go for that? Or, as you said, they're waiting to take their time and, and find out about more things. What aspects do you think either they will find unappealing or currently find unappealing or are wanting to take more time with? Um. I haven't personally looked through the bill, so I'm not sure, um, and I haven't, you know, taken enough time to hear about any of their grievances, um, so I'm not sure I can comment on that, but I think um, if we're looking at anything, (laughs) I know a non-starter would be anything defunding or pulling funding from police, which is um, at least what we're seeing from a local level. 
you know, for example, the Minneapolis City Council passed a resolution last week um, to, you know, move forward with uh, using community-based policing as opposed to having actual police in certain areas. Um, so that was interesting. I mean, we definitely expected that. Um, although the mayor, Jacob Fry, said that he wouldn't uh, support that. So it's definitely interesting to see from a local level because I believe that's really where you're going to see the change. Yeah, I agree. And we've already seen some changes in terms of no-knock warrants being changed and the use of those as well as the use of chokeholds and and different things like that. I wonder, Jenny, because you you mentioned defund the police. I feel like defund the police is maybe it's just a bad messaging item, but defund the police can take various different turns and it doesn't mean to strip the police department of all public funding uh, that comes from taxpayers certainly some of that could be if taken to an extreme which I believe would be very unhealthy but certainly there are ways to incentivize positive policing and there are things that you can do to support or also have punitive measures to punish when police departments don't do their jobs effectively or kill the citizens that they're supposed to protect. And there are perhaps alternatives. I I don't know as much about the community policing aspect, but if there are alternatives to help maybe support the police in different ways as opposed to kind of taking over their responsibility, it seems like those are some alternatives or options that should at least be considered, right? Right. Um, I think it's interesting that you bring that up, that it's not actually meaning to defund the police because in most cases you see that that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to just pull some funding, you know, move it to uh, community programs. Although, you know, I've seen how um, community programs that are run by a city – don't usually aren't usually so effective so that's something we'll have to look into what kind of programs are they running so with defund the police i think they believe that that funding will solve the problems moving that funding will solve the problems um of you know bad cops um but i think there are actual protections that we should be looking at that do protect bad cops um, you know, sometimes you see this with police unions, um, you see this with, you know, connections to whoever's in charge, like the, the elected officials, like the constables, um, chiefs of police, um, who I don't believe, I don't believe a chief of police is, is elected, but you see this in more of the political people sometimes have connections with with these bad cops or whatever it is in some cases I've seen um, but I think also just the unions as well there are certain protections um, that of course help good cops in in bad situations but you know on the converse help bad cops so we we need to look at everything you know um, because we don't want these things to happen we want to do all we can to prevent them um, but I'm not sure that necessarily pulling funding and I think that's going back to the Republican you know support for a national bill is kind of why they hold back too because is this going to solve any problems or is it just going to 
act as maybe a band-aid or just symbolic who knows well hopefully both sides democrats and republicans take this opportunity to help accomplish long-lasting and meaningful significant real change and do so in a bipartisan way i wonder jenny i think this is politically delicate for both sides because clearly there are a lot of people especially on the left that really want action right now they want action and they want it right now and so democrats i feel like could definitely pay a price for not acting swiftly and as we've seen they've at least proposed legislation do you think that republicans by perhaps inaction or by taking things a little slower could pay because i think on their side they also have people that you know i think democrats support law enforcement i think it's ridiculous to to assume that they don't just because they want to you know have at least an idea or a strategy to maybe reallocate funds to have more effective policing but then obviously the message from anybody on on the right anybody running against democrats who try to take away funds from the police will say that the democrats don't like law enforcement so if republicans play ball on this and look to do some kind of meaningful bipartisan agreement will they pay a price for their supporters on the right that are saying don't give in to these different kinds of things feels like it's pretty delicate for both sides well i think generally that Republicans do want, you know, to prevent these things from happening. So I'm not sure if um, any kind of Republican support for this bill would be a bad thing, and I don't think they would lose that support. Um, I do, however, there would be a public shaming, I expect, for any kind of delay on the Republicans' part, um, which we already saw this week. Um, So... You know, I'm interested to see what what comes this week. I hope that, you know, they come to the table with, um, you know, really uh, substantive points um, that could actually help this issue. Um, Because I think both sides are are willing to, to prevent these things from happening. I sure hope so, Jenny. And I mean, can you imagine if these two sides can't come together in this moment, in this time right now and hammer out a bipartisan agreement? I mean, it it seems like the the disgust with Congress is at an all-time high. Can you imagine what it would be like if these two sides can't forge a compromise? Well, I'm not sure if the disgust with Congress is at an all-time high. I don't think people tend to trust Congress. Um, so we'll see what happens. Like, I, I think mostly it's we're going to have to pay attention um, as, you know, as good Americans and as people that are um, really following this issue. Um, we're going to have to pay attention to the local level. It's going to really be where you see the change. Certainly. And that has been the case at least so far. We'll see uh, if they get anything done on terms of a federal bill at the national level. want to move on now to the COVID pandemic. We are seeing some signs of cases increasing in different states. We've seen it in South Carolina, Oregon, and Texas as well. Uh, saw uh, something on uh, Fox News. There was a report that Houston might be considering a new stay-at-home order. And so looking at that, it seems that states are continuing to reopen. Um, 
generally it looks like New York and New Jersey, that area obviously that was the epidemic or the, the center of, of the epidemic here in the United States is, is decreasing, which is obviously a really, really good sign, and that's helping the numbers overall. Jenny, in what you are seeing out in uh, your area there in Houston, I know I can speak for some of the things that I'm seeing in D.C. I am seeing some people that are violating the kind of social distancing. I'm not seeing everybody wearing masks. I'm seeing people get definitely within that six feet. Uh, are you seeing similar things in Houston? Do you do you see people taking the social distancing and reopening measures seriously? Um, yes and no. <laughs> uh, you know, unfortunately, this week uh, I had to go to a couple doctors' offices um, who are actually taking this very seriously. Who, you know, these these aren't doctors treating COVID patients. Just to clarify, um, so those places are taking it seriously, but then on the outside, you know, I'm picking up food at a restaurant. I see it's completely packed. Like it's a totally normal day. Um, cause now at least in, uh, in Houston, we are at, uh, 75% capacity in restaurants. Um, yes, there is a spike here. Uh, I'm not sure what it's due to. Is it due to, you know, these packed restaurants with no one wearing masks? Although the uh, servers are wearing masks, I will clarify that. Um, you know, or is this due to the protests? Because I know um, hundreds of, of people who were arrested in these protests and held in facilities and close quarters and in the jails here um, have been tested. So I'm interested if it's because of that. Um, but there's definitely an issue. I'm not sure how they're going to address that. Um, because once you kind of open things back up, how are you going to tell people, you know, you got to go back into into the core? Definitely. One of the things that I want to branch off of from that, when we're talking about making sure that people are safe and wearing masks, doing social distancing and, and trying to limit exposure, is the rallies that President Trump has now decided that he wants to restart. He was Going to, and, and, and on a side note, Jenny, you know, we, we talk often about sometimes the president and his administration make some kinds of, of unforced errors, and having the first rally back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just a site of, of kind of the, you know, Black Wall Street that was burned to the ground and 300 African Americans killed uh, in one of, if, if not the worst, racial um, violence, you know, kind of in... in you know, act of violence in this country. And to have that on Juneteenth, which is uh, June 19th, kind of the, the day that emancipation and, and uh, the end of slavery is celebrated, just seemed like a real unforced error. So I'm glad that the president decided to move that the, the rally so it wasn't held on Juneteenth. But in doing so, it seems that, at least from the news reports, that the president has said, if you are going to attend these rallies, you have to sign this liability form that will not allow you to sue the campaign. Um, do you think that that's a smart move? It seems obviously to be a smart move from a legal perspective, but from an optics perspective, do you think that that's a good way to go? Because these are large gatherings with a lot of people that are yelling and screaming in close proximity with one another. Yeah, I have seen reports that this is... Um this is happening, that there are these kind of disclaimers and, and uh, forms you have to sign 
I'm not sure um, if the campaigns confirmed that. I'm still waiting to see that. But um, it's definitely, you know, I think something that's going to happen with a lot of events. Um, that's part of that new normal that we're seeing. Um, you know, I'm, I, I wonder too, like, are people going to be wearing masks? Like, how is this really going to work? What's, you know, how are people going to be spaced out? Um, cause I mean, we imagine what a rally was like before and, you know, people just on top of each other. So it'll be interesting to see, um, now, you know, it looks like Tulsa is at a spike in, new cases. I'm looking at, uh, at their, uh, health department right now. Um, so I, you know, maybe they're just going to take the measures that they can, like, you know, taking people's temperature at the door, um, giving them a mask and, uh, doing what they can. Cause I mean, they should probably do that. They should probably take these measures that, you know, when I go to the doctor, they take my oxygen they take my temperature. They're very quick now. Um, that may be part of the deal too. Um, but that would be really, really upsetting if there was a spike um, that came after these rallies. Um, that would be that would be hard to see. But it's also hard to see, you know, on the other side that there's been a lot of protests and um, you know a lot of people at risk exposed to these. I think I am. I fall, you know, in the same kind of category of like, I don't know necessarily that we should be doing either of these right now. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I feel on a moral level that the protests are much more acceptable than the rallies. But I, like uh, Dr. Fauci, am consistent in both that they both worry me. And I think we'll see increased exposure and transmission from both of them. And... I, my heart's heavy because I understand at least why, why people are in the streets and people want to congregate and people want to have their voice heard when it comes to the Black Lives Matter protests, but it also hurts because I feel like as many of the people, as we talked about, Jenny, that are suffering from coronavirus in a, um, in a more predominant way, if you look at the amount of, you know, the people who die are people of color as well as the elderly, so especially the elderly, but but when it comes to kind of normal people within the normal age range, it's people of color, African-Americans and Latinos. So for me, I worry about that a great deal, and I'm also worried about the people that are showing up at rallies because we know how raucous those are, and I'm not saying that I think there's any going to be any kind of violence at those rallies at all, but my concern is that just that many people, statistically, you're going to be able to spread something. And I hope that every precaution is taken that can be taken and still allow these kinds of rallies to occur. I think this is almost pr- probably if, if anybody is helped most by these rallies, it's probably President Trump who loves kind of the adulation of the crowd and loves these things. We saw they were a major staple of obviously the campaign in 2016 and then also just a part of his presidency in general. He loves talking to people in this way, and he loves being able to go off the cuff. Jenny, as far as his administration, if you were one of his advisors, are you worried that if he goes off the cuff here, it could hurt him, especially at such a very fragile and delicate time with what's going on with the pandemic and wanting to maintain an air of 
leadership and trying to unify the country and saying that we're going to get through this while also being a cheerleader for the economy. And on top of that, all of the racial strife and turmoil that we're experiencing right now, that's a delicate balance to strike. Do you think that, you know, would you be worried with the president as he is wont to do going, as I said, kind of ad-libbing or off the cuff at some of these rallies? You know, I I wouldn't because I think that um, at least with the off the cuff aspect, I think that's what his his base uh, loves about him, and that will really uh, get the crowd excited, and that's why people go to these things. Um, I mean, look, you have to compare him to who he's up against, and uh, we have Biden, who's just full of gaffes. And when it comes to you know worrying about what the president's going to say, I would say, you know, like at this point, his supporters are like, you know, know exactly what they're going to get if if they vote for Biden. And I think even Democrats, too, are worried, um, which is why, you know, it's going to be really important to know who he picks as VP, which we could be getting closer to. Would you say that it's fair to say that both of these candidates are gaffron? Uh, no, I would not say that. Um you know, I, I don't think that uh, Biden's frequency of these comments and uh, the severity compare. Um, it happens, you know, almost at every event um, that Biden has. So I, I just don't I just don't think you can compare. I, I personally would would argue that the president has made as many unforced errors, obviously he's given a lot more speeches and a lot of other things, but some of the things that he has said um, rival, certainly, I, I imagine, the uh, the comments of Vice President Biden, who's running uh, now as the Democratic nominee for president. I think he certainly makes mistakes, too. So I, I don't necessarily want to single out uh, Biden, but you are correct, Jenny, that uh, Biden is definitely gaff-prone. It's It's one of, if not his biggest weakness, is I think if you're a Democrat, you, you almost have to be very anxious because you're not really sure what he's going to say or how or if he's going to screw it up somehow. I want to turn now to our uplifting story of the week. This comes to us from Buffalo, New York. There's a high school senior named Antonio Gwynn Jr. Jenny, this is such a cool story. So after protests uh, caused damage in his hometown uh, starting at 2 a.m. and continuing for 10 straight hours he started cleaning up around the neighborhood and around uh, his town and so he said he just wanted to make sure that people would have no trouble commuting to work the next morning after seeing the damage on the news he simply decided to get out there and help on in the uh, the spur of the moment so an organized cleanup crew arrived at bailey avenue the next morning to start clearing up and they basically saw that antonio had done most of the work so news spread was on local tv he was going to go to college uh, he was saving up money to do that and now he has been offered a full scholarship to a uh, a liberal arts university up in uh, buffalo new york so just a really really incredible story from antonio Gwynn jr in Buffalo, so cool to see somebody, you know, just trying to take care of their community and being rewarded for that. Love, love, love to see that. Jenny Taylor, I want to go to you for final thoughts of the week. What did you think of the week that was and the week to come? 
I think at this point, I'm just praying that we find some common ground in this country and that we can, um, you know, solve any kind of racial disparities or issues and that we can come to the table and work together um, to always better this country, um, which is a great country and a great experiment. And, um, you know, thank God for that. So, you know, that's the that's the beauty of, of anything here is that we can, we can definitely strive to do better. Um, and we will. And I think also when it comes to coronavirus, um, I, I worry, uh, but I also, um, hope that, you know, in most of these States that we're seeing, um, you know, a, a good level of mitigation, um, with reopening, so I hope that we continue to do that um, and that I hope we, we are somewhat reopened this summer because I don't think this is sustainable to just stay at home all the time. So I hope we find a good balance with that as well. Well, certainly great things to hope for in the future. My thoughts on the week that was, we had another tragic incident in Atlanta. Rayshard Brooks, 27, was killed by police, was fatally shot at a Wendy's. Uh, and so that has led to kind of fresh protests and anger there. Erica Shields, who's the police chief of the Atlanta Police Department, has stepped down, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigations is investigating. That is definitely not as as perhaps clear-cut a case as what we saw with George Floyd, but certainly there is also video of that incident as well, uh, if you should care to, to look it up, but... You know, I, I am pleased that we are seeing protests that are m- much more peaceful and, you know, with the news that we're happening is we're seeing protests and that's what we're seeing. Also, we're seeing the toppling of Confederate statues and monuments. Those I, I'm, I'm interested to see if that continues and, and what backlash, if any, happens as a result. I am interested, Jenny, as you said, about if we're going to get news about Joe Biden's potential vice presidential pick, whether that will come this week or in the next week. I'm interested to see what happens with President Trump's rally in Tulsa. I think it's an interesting place to decide to hold it, and I'm interested to see how we continue to handle the different spikes in these cases. If we have, as we talked about with Houston Are we going to need new stay-at-home orders? Are we going to need to redouble our efforts when it comes to preventing the spread of coronavirus? Very, very interesting, and and also personally as a fan of baseball, I'm interested to see whether Major League Baseball is able to figure something out so we can actually have a baseball season this year because they have squandered precious time. And what we've seen is that the NBA, apparently they have a plan to return. The PGA Tour is already in action this week with the Corn Ferry Challenge and the Charles Schwab Challenge. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not we're actually going to have baseball. It would be nice to have America's pastime during a time when so many people are struggling and so many people are hurting. So those are some of my thoughts on the week that was and the week to come. Jenny Taylor, thank you as always for joining me today. Had a blast, as we always do, on the 17th episode of Polite Politics. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.